So a few weeks ago, I can't remember who we had on, but uh, on Twitter, Jason Knight pointed out that he had never been over the snake pit. I've been doing stuff on the grill for our guests or ordering out. And uh, it's true. It was it was a uh, micro inequity. Um, <laughs> I haven't haven't really slept well uh, since that happened. Um, so today he's over. And unfortunately, we've got vegetables for him today. Yes. Yeah, and no, I mean, look, he's fallen apart. He's been on a hunger strike <laughs> since the last time he was on the show that we would he wouldn't eat until we fed him. Right. So he's skin and bones over here. I'm glad we could get some pizza and wings on you, Jason. Yep, here I am. Well, we're excited to have both the esteemed Jason Knight and uh, Russell Weaver. Rusty, what's up, buddy? Not too much. How are you guys doing? That's, I I feel like if we have you guys on a couple more times, like we should get honorary geography degrees. Yeah. You don't want one. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, of course, am Ree, along with. Uh, I, I am uh, the smoker, Jim. Uh, yes, the smoker, <laughs> the joker, the, the midnight toker. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, of course, we have. Uh, the snaker. The snaker, the mm-hmm. snaker, Ryan, Ryan, yeah. we love him, folks. We love him. Yeah, we got a packed house here at the snake pit, so let's jump into it. I told the guys, I said, you know, last week we had a 12-minute intro. This week you get like 10 seconds. That's all wow. you, I'm a cruel taskmaster. Wow. I, I I brought the <laughs> hammer yeah, down it, hard. Why you you look just way. like Greg Davies. Yes, that, <laughs> I sure do. No, we're jumping into it because there's a lot to jump into. And of course, we are leading off with the moneymaker, the mayor's race. Yep. Here we are. They're still running, and it's getting tighter than ever. Guys, we have some big fundraising numbers coming in. Yeah, uh, October 1st was the uh, deadline for the 32-day pre-general election uh, financial disclosure. I, you know, I'm not going to break this down later in the show. I'm going to break down the controller, sheriff, and the Hamburg supervisor race a little bit. But a lot of good work has been done already on the mayor's race. Uh, if you're looking at Investigative Post, Dan Telvach, Jeff Kelly's getting into it a little bit. Our friend Robcat Galbraith has broken it down a little bit. So if you want to find more about this and really dig into the numbers, you, first of all, you should be following all of them on Twitter anyways. But if you're not following on Twitter, make a fake burner account and then start following them. Yeah, we're going to pop over to Dan Telvach's Twitter feed and shamelessly crib from him. But follow him, folks. You know, he's a good he's a good follow at Dan Telvach on the damn Twitter, the the depression machine, whatever, whatever you call it. The thing that makes you sad and gives you way too much information for your brain. Breakdown of contributions. So he went in rough numbers. First off, let's start with the actual numbers here. Uh, looks like for Byron Brown's campaign, from the period from July 12th through September 27th, brought in $831,000 in receipts. Ooh. What do we think about that number? Let's start there. That is comparable to what he was doing in prior mayor's election, prior mayoral elections, uh, when he was raising and spending up to a million dollars or over a million dollars in a race like he did most notably against like Schroeder four years ago. You know, that's the type of fundraising that we that's what you expect out of the mayor. That's what you expected out of the mayor earlier this year when he wasn't taking it seriously. I expected him to turn it on at some point and raise six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars and make sure he won the primary. He didn't because uh, who knows what the fuck was going on with his head, but he just he just kind of gave up the goat. I know it was in his head. Renegade. Renegade by, by sticks. By sticks. <laughs> 
<laughs> but so he so he just gives it up, and uh, now he's got to finally turn on the faucets. And I, I will say that I think that he's basically probably tapped out all of his re- regular sources, and that between now and election day, he'll raise less money obviously because there's only 32 days left or 30 days left total wise but if you broke it down to the amount of money he raised per day over that period over that july to uh, september period he'll raise a lot less per day even now with only being 30 days left to the election whereas i think india will probably increase the amount she's going to raise per day because she's got a much more diverse donor base well and let's talk about where a lot of that money is coming from half a little i'm sorry less than half three hundred and eighty thousand of byron brown's 831k so under half came from uh individuals who say they reside in the city of buffalo the rest came fifty thousand came from williamsville uh twenty five thousand thereabouts came from orchard park Another roughly 25,000 came from Clarence. You know, a lot of places that you would expect to be brown outposts, shall we say. Right, right. It's famously positive numbers in Clarence for Democrats. Yes, yes. They love Democrats out in Clarence. They, they can't get enough of the Democratic Party. He brought in money from the places where you'd expect him to bring money from and also the people that you'd expect him to bring money from the individuals who gave to uh, to mayor brown for the most recent cycle from most to least coming in at twenty five thousand, we have nanula yeah the nanula family like it was like it was broken up between like four or five of them yep and they all hit for like you know five to six k a piece yep the simonelli came in at a roughly 15k and some change Mm mm-hmm uh, Jamal came in at 15k and some change. Yep, both Doug and his brother. Yep, and then in like the 12 to 10 thousand dollar range, you had uh, Williams, Joya, Murano, Brown, Matar. You know, a whole bunch of different names that you're familiar with, of course. Sinatra was on there for only six thousand, which I thought was kind of interesting. Well, I mean, six thousand is about the limit for um, uh, the election for the cycle. So, I mean, all these numbers you're seeing higher than like six thousand are split up among multiple members of the family. Snatchers have given in kind. Yeah, Snatchers have also (laughs) given in kind. Yeah, like, I mean, how much is, what's the value on a judicial decision? (laughs) Priceless. (laughs) The Sinatras have been giving until it hurts. Uh How about on the other side of the coin? So the Walton campaign raised $442,000 for that same July through September period. Somewhere between 442 to 439, Dan noted here. But it's it's about half of what uh, what Mayor Brown raised. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, she appeals to a different donor base, like I said, and her donor base is going to be much smaller donors. She's not going to be getting a lot of thousand to five thousand dollar checks, or not as many. She'll be. I mean, she's going to get she gets more than I will, but I mean, like, she's not going to get more than the mayor. Certainly not. And Dan was even kind enough to, we got to give him a real shout out uh, at some point or get him on the show. Dan, if you're listening, we'll get you on because you really hooked us up here, brother. So the um, individual campaign contributions for Byron Brown came to uh, 2,353 individual donations for Byron versus 1,822 individual donations for India Walton. Brown had, uh, he had LLCs and PLLCs give to him in 57 of them. Um, LLPs, 14 of them, and India Walton had neither of those groups. Oh, I'm sorry. She had she had three contributions from LLCs, whereas Byron Brown had 57 contributions from mm-hmm. LLCs. It's one of those things where 
I guess you know where the professional class is throwing a lot of their money at, that it's not going necessarily to the Walton campaign. Any thoughts on what companies you think would be giving a lot of money to Byron right now? Or I mean, I, I didn't look at, at the mayor's financials. I, I When I was looking at the financials, like I said, I trusted that Dan and Rob and you know, even to a certain extent, Jeff had done the work and I didn't need to go back and do it more. But I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a bunch of city hall vendors. I mean, mm. I'd be surprised if it wasn't, as a matter of fact. Okay. You know, if if it wasn't like whoever has like the furniture contract for city hall, I'd be fucking shocked if they didn't give $2,000 or whatever. It looks like there was 142000 that came in in unitemized donations, too. So it looks like there are actually more individual donors that Dan's numbers initially, and he even tw- tweeted this here, that those numbers were not initially correct, that she does have more individual contributions because there are more unitemized donations. Even if she didn't have the unitemized donations, like the, the how close it is without her having like 500 City Hall employees to lean on to make individual donations is pretty impressive. Yeah, she's, she's definitely built in the short time period of this race really heating up. She's built herself a hell of a, a network of donors and, and supporters. She's used some of that money to come out with a new television ad. Mm-hmm. Have you guys peeped this? I have. It's, it's good. Yeah, pretty good. One. Rusty, Jason, you seen the new ad for uh, Miss Walton? I, I have seen it, but can I just uh, stop for a moment oh, oh, before please. we change the subject on these financials? Um, is there a reason you're choosing not to cover Big Ben Carlisle? Oh, <laughs> he brought in over 2K. Right. Um, wow. In fact, his biggest individual donor, a thousand dollars from someone who, if you look them up on LinkedIn, is a Wegman sales associate. Now I know Wegmans is consistently like one of the top places to work. God damn! <laughs> like if you can afford a thousand dollars for Ben Carlisle, I'm going to work for Wegmans. Right. <laughs> The, the Square Podcast has famously tried to silence Ben Carlisle, so <laughs> thank you for calling us out on that, Rusty. Right. Do you, uh, Jazz Miles didn't follow a, a, a campaign account, I don't think, though, so we can't see what he's doing. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think his is there, but Ben Carlisle, yeah, he, he came big. He's got some great signs, though, Jazz Miles does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we love the Jazz signs. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for holding us accountable, yes, Rusty. <laughs> we have the campaigns in action putting out their ads on the TV news. So India Walton's campaign ad, which is something I've been banging the drum on about for a long time, basically saying, hey, I know what my opponents are saying about me, but Byron Brown is a corrupt politician constantly being raided by the FBI. Uh, wouldn't you like somebody different and better than him? No, it's it's a good first commercial where like she sets up the difference between the two of them. He's a piece of shit who gets invested by the FBI all the time. And I'm a nurse. I'm a good person. And you know he's not. I didn't notice any Hatch Act violations in her head. Well, I didn't notice any either, but I mean, I don't, I don't know who all those people were that she was talking to. <laughs> you didn't notice enough Hatch Act oh, violations. Right, oh, right. Okay, that seems okay. to be the winning formula okay. because the Hatch Act police, they've come a-calling for Mayor, Mayor Byron Brown having actual police officers in, in his campaign ads. Yeah, there, there was a lawsuit filed uh, about this um, by a, a local attorney who happens to support India Walton, but did it at least for all intents and purposes outside of the campaign saying like, Hey, uh, this is clearly fucking illegal. You can't use your government office as your government title in a political campaign. It's pretty fucking clear. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I mean like rusty and I know this, uh, we both did AmeriCorps and like you, you couldn't do Dick because of the hatch act. Right. Jason, I'm not going to, I'm going to, we're going to throw your ge- uh, geology degree out the window here. I'm just going to ask you like person to person. Does any of this shit matter? Does any of the TV stuff matter? Does it matter to you? Do you think it has any impact? I mean, I guess I just don't know if it resonates, right? I mean, at the end of the day, 
you're a voter and you're probably already decided. So I just don't feel like the TV stuff is, is anything other than just performance. And if it drags out a few voters, great. But I think the, you know, we we're kind of probably are where we are at this point. I, I, I think I think it matters. I always like to think of when Jack Davis was running for Congress against. I said your geology degree. I meant geography. Yeah, I, I was wondering so if you were, you, if you you were making a, a geology degree too. I was wondering <laughs> if you're making a joke or if you're like another degree that I can make a lot yeah, of. Yeah, right. if, if you had like a question about volcanoes or some shit, I, yeah. I, I, I kept my mouth shut because I didn't know where you were going with that. Ray, but yeah. you're I setting can bullshit something my up. way through geography. I can bullshit my way through geology. Right? Uh, no, Jack Davis running against Tom Reynolds 15 years ago or whatever. Um, and my nephew was a kid. And he just remembered like all these Jack Davis taglines. And like my nephew was a pretty bright kid, which means he was like a dumb adult who are allowed to vote. Like dumb adults will catch television ads and they'll just remember like the things that are like are catchy and go over and over and over again. And those people do show up and vote and they're dumb. Yeah, it could just be at the end of the day, you're going to persuade or dissuade a voter because of something that happens in the last 30 days, right? I mean, it's going to be something that's like a monumental shift or, a, you know, somebody steps on their own toes. That is when an ad is helpful. But outside of that, I mean, the, the platforms are the platforms, right? One one is a progressive forward-thinking platform and one is a business-as-usual platform. So you're, you're on one of those sides anyway. And so I just don't see how many voters get drawn out of TV ads. Also, TV, like, I don't watch TV. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. My TV's never on, so like, who's watching TV at the end of the well, day? Well, that's the thing is like, so like, the, these media buys are becoming less and less effective as people are cutting the cable, or cutting the cord, and and going to combination of streaming services and and te- I mean, the yeah, antennas- the ad didn't come across my Netflix account, right? <laughs> now, I I know that for both the uh, Walton campaign and the Byron campaign, the part of their ad buy time includes running the commercials during Bill's games. So like that's the only fucking time during election season that it makes money. It makes sense to spend money on Bill's games. Although everybody's going to the bathroom or to like either like urinate or vomit because they've been drinking too much or whatever they have to do during the middle of the Bill's game. You know, they're not paying attention to the TV ads, but the, the where these ads are is now you have these professional quality ads that you can then use on social media as well. I mean, I think it's two things. One, it's signaling that you're a serious candidate. So yes, it is a lot of it bullshit. Sure. But I also think that it's the kind of theater that you're obligated to do. If you are trying to signal that you are a viable candidate that look viable candidates put out television ads, well-made ones. So even if it doesn't sway anybody, I think there's something to it that it shows that you have a merit as a candidate. The other thing that I think is interesting here is that it's changing the framing of the discussion. So Rusty, you've been on this beat for a while now about the media covering the Walton campaign, the, the Brown campaign, um, and, and how that's been you know heavy handed, mostly in favor of the Brown campaign. India Walton coming out with an ad saying, hey, Byron Brown is notoriously corrupt and has been investigated by the FBI a whole bunch. I mean, that in some way, I would hope, has to guide the framing of the discussion of him as a candidate. Yeah, so I, I think there, there's a lot to say about that. And normally I am with Jason, and it's not uh, that TV ads make a huge difference. But I, I think there is a lot going on here. Um, and countering the narrative that's already out there is one. Um, so a, a couple of things with this ad. Number one is India Walton really hasn't had a chance in many spaces to define herself. To this point, Brown's been out there spending money. He's been on TV and he gets that free media. He gets the Buffalo News coverage and everywhere else that's um, sort of biased toward the 
the owning class and and so he gets that benefit of of them being out there and investigating bullshit claims against India Walton that have already been disproven relitigating it several times on the front page of the news and trying to position her as this negative angry person so she doesn't get that benefit of that free media and she also hasn't been on TV as long so right now Brown has been dominating the conversation the narrative has been his to define and so where um, India has tried to shift that narrative and change it. She's been doing great interviews in places like The Nation. She was on Chapo. Um, you know, she did that uh, um, interview with The Intercept. Those are all great, but she's not convincing anyone there. Anyone who's viewing her in those platforms are already voting for her. So she does need to get out there into a broader space and try to shift that narrative. And she does that with this first ad, really trying to define herself and, and show us who she is. So that's important. Um, another thing is the interesting thing about the primary, if you remember, um, this narrative of historical historically low turnout gets broken down pretty easily. It was pretty average, but you did see a lot of um, areas that had traditionally higher turnout have lower turnout. Um, so turnout was average because India got enthusiastic support from young voters and first time voters. And so, so she drove them out very heavily. A lot of older voters, voters who have been in the game for a while, just decided to sit out. They didn't want Brown again, but they were skeptical about whether it was socialism or just India as a candidate or what have you. And so there is a, a real uh, value and real merit in trying to reach those disaffected voters saying, I already know now because you didn't vote in the primary that you don't like the guy that's there. I can be this alternative. This is who I really am. So, and, and you know, it turns out that a lot of those older voters are going to be the ones that still have the cable subscriptions where she is going to hit with TV. So I do think, even though I normally think it's misguided to spend any money um, on TV in local races like this, I, I do think that there's merit this time around, and I hope that it works for her. Yeah, and you mentioned that the older voters, like at my parents' house the other day when the India Walton TV commercial came on, and my parents are both in like their you know mid-60s, so whatever TV station they were watching is whatever old people watch. I don't know what station it was. Um, <laughs> And so, like, who, was it Grit? It's it, it, a John Wayne movie. It wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, I like Grit. <laughs> it, it, I, I, I like Grit, too, so I'm not going to say. Uh, it was like, I don't know. It was like some probably, like, true crime, like, fucking stupid <laughs> bullshit. So whoever, like, was like, oh, we need to spend money here, here, and here. And when they're figuring out their buys, at least this one, they hit the right spot. Like, they're, oh, we, we definitely nailed it. We got the 64 to 67-year-old uh, demographic nailed. Yeah, for sure. And, and in line with um, that discussion, Rusty, of the media framing we have just this incredibly egregious example of this in the buffalo news a few days ago uh the the article in buffalo's race for mayor will blue collar democrats embrace india walton's democratic socialism didn't they already do that in june I mean, I thought so. I, I thought the blue-collar Democrats of Buffalo voted in their primary and, and chose their candidate, their endorsed Democratic candidate. But apparently, I, I, according to Bob McCarthy, I think we're wrong, is, is what we're getting. No, I mean... Because what Bob McCarthy means by blue-collar Democrats is he means, like, Irish Catholic pro-life Democrats. That's what he means by blue-collar Democrats. He doesn't mean, like, working-class African-Americans on the East Side because he doesn't give a shit about them. Right. And, I mean, the whole frame of the article, of course, is is completely bunk. You know, that, oh, well, will she be able to sell it to blue-collar read white, mm -hmm. white people? Could she get white people to vote for her is really what Bob right, yeah, is like, saying yeah, yeah, but listen, Bob, the cops aren't going to vote for her. Sorry. I don't know what you want me to say. Right. Right. But there's an interesting nugget in that article, I thought, where the Brown campaign didn't return any calls, but they had 
Tony Masiello speak on their behalf, basically, <laughs> where Tony Masiello said this from the article here, but some close to him, like former Mayor Anthony M. Masiello, say the Walton victory would have never occurred if Brown had not ignored her, engaged her in debate and energized the political organization that sustained him through three decades of elections. It was politics 101, he said. India got out her vote and Mayor Brown didn't. Hey, why aren't they writing articles about that? Mm-hmm. Why the fuck are they not going and beating that drum? Because that seems to be a way more interesting story to me. Why did the incumbent mayor of Buffalo completely whiff on this primary, not get out his voters, and now expect them to turn out for him? That's that's what you're getting around here. Thankfully, though, you will, if you are a uh, Byron Brown voter, you, you will be getting a, a little... Um, a little token of appreciation a souvenir and, and i so i have a i, I want to ever request to any listener who lives in the city of buffalo i want to get as many of these better and brown stamps as possible and i'll i have election day off i'll drive out and pick them all up because i want to put them on ebay that day lecture's <laughs> item i thought we could do something performative like you know blow, shoot them out of a can or something. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, yeah that's 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 what you're gonna get is you'll get you'll get the <laughs> nft of the video of me shooting them out of a can <laughs> oh yeah we'll get an i'll get on the nft train sure okay so uh jim I, I remember you and i talked about this you know a couple of months ago when he first declared that he was going to do the write-in campaign um, you know, it is perfectly legal to do stamps, but it's not going to be legal, right, if somebody stamps his name and then leaves it at the Board of Elections, because then it would be like a polling station or leaves it at the polling station, because then it would be like the polling station is supplying an unfair advantage by having it there. Right. Right. So if you are listening, be on the lookout for that. Yeah. And immediately grab them all and bring them to me. But uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, realistically, if you show up to vote, you live in the city of Buffalo and there's a stamp already there. You should notify the election inspectors that there's a stamp there and make a complaint that this is a, it's essentially electioneering. So they're not allowed to have it in the booth already. Right. They can give it to you when you walk in. You know, when, you, when you're outside the... You, you it's go got to be 100 feet, right? Right, the polling place, and there are 100 feet signs, and that's where everybody's yard signs are, and that's where everybody's you know, shaking hands. Like, Well, if you're a big polling place, like I used to vote in the uh, village of El- Elmwood Village in the Unitarian Universalist Church, which is one of the highest density voting districts, or polling places. There's like four districts that are high density there. And, like, every fucking elected official would be outside of it because, like, well, I mean, they would just see thousands of people as opposed to going to, like, the Asrizi Matters Community Center on the west side where they're going to see, like, 15 fucking people all day. But, yeah, they can stand there and they can hand those stamps out. Now, they said that they're going to give the stamps out ahead of time to people they've already identified as brown voters, which, to me, like, is is kind of weird because can't you just be like, so it's B-Y-R-O-N. B R O W N. That's a, if they're oh, if you've already identified them through your your canvassing. Well, what if they can't read or write? Like that's me, what the stamps for yeah, right. yeah, that's I mean, what the exactly. stamp is. Right. That, that is what the stamp is for. Yeah, I mean, or or, or, or maybe Byron should just change his name to an X. <laughs> <laughs> Byron X. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if that'd go over too well. Well, yeah, no, I I am actually quite curious about how this is going to play out logistically because is this something that the the Walton campaign should be mindful of it, that there could be a whole bunch of like Byron Brown stampers all over the polling places. I mean, the thing is, it's so tough because if you do something illegal on election day, they're not going to unelect you. If you win, if you cheat on election day and win, they're not going to unelect you. And there's just so limited, like what they can do as far as enforcement on election day. 
far be it from me to t- encourage anybody to cheat on election day, but you should cheat on election day. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep an eye out for the stamps. I think it might be a, a bit of a tempest in a teapot situation. I don't expect it to be a huge deal, but this could be, you know, Chekhov's FedEx stamp here. Should we put some money on this? One dollar. Okay, one dollar. One dollar. Ree's team, not a big deal. I'm big. I'm team big deal. You're team big deal. What are you? Uh, I'm team big deal. One I'm lost. Okay. All right. All right. Rusty? Doesn't matter what I pick, I lose. You want to put a dollar <laughs> on this? Yeah, I, I'm going to go team big deal. Wow. I, I, just, because right. I, I, I think it's you know going to be a, one of those. I, I, I don't know. It, it just seems like prone for chaos. I don't know. Well, it seems a little lopsided. I'm switching my allegiance to team no big deal. Oh. As I'm with you, Reed. In, in the content, I will say in the content creating industry, though, I'm excited for it if it is a big deal because we get to talk about yeah. these stamps forever, which will be incredible for us, but maybe not so great for India Walton if if we do. Uh, so I just I hope the stamps say very lo- like like a heavy emboss on them made in China. And like half the people from South Buffalo who are planning on voting for Byron go made in China. I wasn't this made in the USA. Why wasn't it made at that store in Elma? Yes. Why wasn't it? Yeah. Why wasn't it made in that store in Elma? Um, the Walden campaign bouncing back again. We're we're covering both sides. All right. We're we're fair and we're balanced. And I don't think any other news outlet says that. No. Just just us. We are fair and balanced. <laughs> you trademark that. Yes. Right. We're essentially the Guardian. Yes. That's that's us. <laughs> so the Walton campaign adds advisors. So this is from the Investigative Post. Uh, Jeff Kelly and friends over there. I think this is actually Jeff's article, but. Who knows? Um, India Walton made six new appointments to an advisory committee she has assembled to guide her transition into the mayor's office should she beat incumbent Byron Brown in the November 2nd general election. So we've got an interesting list of appointees in front of us here. Probably the biggest name of note is Chris Hawley, who is currently in the city's Office of Strategic Planning. So he is notably the only current city hall employee who's a part of uh, India Walton's shadow cabinet. What do we make of, uh, I, I know, I know, I believe he hosted a fundraiser for previously, but what, what do we make of having a city hall employee part of her, you know, making himself known? Uh, I mean, it's, it, it is interesting because we know that the mayor is very petty. It, after Mickey ran against him, they basically didn't plow the fucking roads in South Buffalo for four years. <laughs> so, like, I can't imagine that, like, if I was Chris Hawley, I, like, I'd be pretty, keeping pretty up to date on my LinkedIn. So so will the road be plowed where Chris Hawley lives except for... Uh, no, it, he, it'll, it'll be plowed at the ends blocking that right, street right, in. Yeah, okay. Uh, we have another city planner has been tapped, Bradshaw Hovey. Uh, from the University of Buffalo School of Architecture and senior fellow at UB Regional Institute. Uh, Sharon West from Buffalo Municipal Housing Authority, formerly. Cesar Cabrera, formerly the State Department of Labor. Greg Olma, friend of the show. Uh, Greg Olma, former Erie County legislator and deputy parks commissioner, will tackle parks. Greg might be the smartest guy that I know. No joke, Greg, incredible guy. Wow. Yeah. I'm what? sitting right here, Reed. Yeah, you sure are. <laughs> you will you will remain there. <laughs> Greg Greg Greg's a great dude. Um and Dan Sack, uh community activist. I don't I don't know who that is, but yeah, okay. Uh, Vanessa Glushevsky was already on there. A few other uh names of note, but Jen McCosey. Jen McCosey, uh Victoria Cooper from Bread Hive. A lot of interesting names that she's adding. Seems to be at least from the Greg Alma pick alone, for my money, uh, 
well-qualified, intelligent people. Well, I mean, this is what I said back all the way in like January when we first had her on, and we've been talking about her since then. Byron keeps saying that she doesn't have the experience. And I said, well, maybe not. I mean, although you know, I don't know. Like, you can get a degree in being mayor. Like, there's no you know, like fucking formal training for it. But oh, I wonder what what I was sold. <laughs> I, I guess I shouldn't have went to that university. <laughs> right, right. I said, Prager, you really misled you. Uh, but I said, you know, if she surrounds herself with good, thoughtful, competent people, well, that's like half the battle. Fuck, it should be way better, way, uh, way ahead of what the mayor's done, where he's just filled like his office with sycophants. The idea that you have to have prior experience for for a political position is laughable. You're only as good as the people you put in position to 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 be department heads and. And staff, if you if you pick friends and family, which is you know pretty common way to do it, um, or you know people that get signatures for you for your campaign, then that's questionable. But you know she seems to have a pretty decent transition team here. Um, you know what what she would put in in appointed positions is going to be critical for her moving forward. She's not in charge of every single thing in City Hall, right? I mean that's that's the reality. So the, that's just a way to sort of minimize her. Um, by saying she doesn't have X, Y, and Z. When right. Most people that run for office, the first office, don't have that experience. So the idea that you have to do the good soldiers thing, which is you have to basically, I always say you have to start as a petitioner. You have to go door to door and be a good soldier. And then maybe if that candidate wins, you get to be a you know somebody in their, their office. And then maybe when that person retires, you can run for their seat. That's the worst way to think about politics as a career. It shouldn't be that way. It should be people with vision and ideas, and then they find the right people to bring along with them to implement those visions and those ideas. The whole argument that she's inexperienced, yeah, probably, but does it does it really matter at the end of the day? No, it doesn't. Well, here's like he he argues like, oh well, the, you know, the city budget is two billion dollars, whatever, whatever, whatever it is, and you know she's got no idea how to handle it. Look, you were a fucking state senator before here, man. Your yeah. annual budget as a state senator that you actually had fucking control of. First of all, you were in the minority, yeah. so you didn't have excess funds. Let's say maybe you got like four hundred thousand yeah. dollars. It's a world of fucking difference, man. You weren't ready for this either. Like you didn't. You weren't prepared to. You didn't have executive experience running a large organization like the city of Buffalo. You just happened to be a fucking you know state senator and had kissed the right asses for thirty years. Yeah, and it's also basically saying that that person has to. He doesn't have a law degree, so he's inexperienced in law. But that doesn't make him inexperienced in being a mayor. You basically hire corporate counsel to represent you. Right. The idea that you have to be a lawyer and an accountant and a planner and a you know any of those titles that are in city hall to be to do that job is absolute horseshit it's just the, it's just politics yeah, the whole experience argument is you know if you want a candidate that has experience running city hall the way it's been run then you're going to get exactly the same results that have been delivered over time and so india might not have experience running city hall the way that it's been run she might not have experience managing a two billion dollar budget but she's already come out and said if i'm mayor we're going to institute a participatory budgeting process right so there's not experience in running city hall like that because that hasn't existed before either so that's building a new institution something that's highly more democratic than what we have at this present time and so um you know a vote for her at that point is a vote for you as a city resident to have a say in the budget um and so that's a you know a different way of looking at it you don't need the uh, the wheels to keep turning. It doesn't need to be a turnkey operation where you have someone who goes in and says, okay, do what we did last year. Um, there's a real opportunity here for doing something differently and, and having the system start to change a little bit. Yeah. Well, and look, a lot of people who are going to be opposed to 
India Walton, a lot of the Gadsden flag fuckers out there, right, who have like a, a six foot erection with a cheeseburger on the end of it for the founding fathers. Alexander Hamilton was like 25 when he was Secretary of the Treasury. Fuck you. Like, so clearly experience doesn't make, mean shit. I mean, people only lived to like 35 back then. So, so if you age adjusted, he was like 50 years old. Well, yeah, that's true because like Ben Franklin was like 82, which meant like in that time he was like 655 so years old. Methuselah over there. Right. Yeah. But the, the thing for me, the, and I've had this conversation with Rusty too, the thing that I'm interested in is in the areas that she talks about as priorities, does she hire experienced people? people that just know how to talk about those things, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's going to be the key, which is the people that are really good at the narrative or that are really good at the work because those are two different those are two different things. Knowing how to get stuff done in a large bureaucratic system like a city hall like that is vastly different than, hey, I read a few books about this thing and I'm, I can regurgitate that stuff. That doesn't work in city hall. Right. And and that that's the difference between theory and practice, right? Right. And the, the tough thing is like, you know, you want somebody who has a passion for it, but if they're too passionate, then they get stuck in the weeds and, and it's easy for the bureaucracy to bog them down. Right. So right. let's let's talk about this article in the Buffalo News that I think synthesizes 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 uh, both the new ideas that India Walton's bringing to the table while also accentuating her experience and, and her, her bona fides here. So this article, Walton's blueprint counts on land trusts, not developers for affordable housing, uh, came out uh, the first couple days ago in the Buffalo News written by Deidre Williams. So it's an article about essentially India Walton's proposal for instituting land trusts in the city of Buffalo. So Rusty, Jason, help me out. Cause I still read it. I still sort of, I understand it, but also I'm a little lost. What's a land trust guys. So, I, I mean, a land trust is think of it as a different ownership model. So basically if you're a prospective home buyer and you're looking on the market right now, um, when you buy a house or put an offer in on a house, you put in an offer on the house plus the land that it sits on. Right. And so land has inherent value. Land is valuable. And so the price of any home that you would buy is both the structure that exists on it. It's the location where it is. You're paying for all of the amenities around it and all of this, uh, the social wealth that's been created around you. Um, and then you're also paying for the land itself, the land that it sits on. So a land trust is a model that takes the land out of the equation. The land is held collectively by a nonprofit by um, generally the nonprofit consists of, of residents of that community, but the land is held in common. When you buy a house, then you buy the structure that sits on top of the land. So that fractions, you know, that takes out what a third of, of the purchasing price right there to make it more affordable. Now, if you buy into that because you're living on somebody else's land, but in your own home that you own, when you, uh, if you choose to sell your home afterwards, um, there's a, a deed restriction generally that says that you can, can't sell for X percent above you know, whatever level is set. So it basically places a cap on how much you can actually sell the property for um, so that you can get the results of any equity that you've put into it. You can profit from it, but just by a smaller amount than you could if the market were functioning normally. Um, and so, you know, basically look at it this way. One of the reasons why we have uh, so much redlining and so much racial inequality in the housing market is initially it was okay to put deed restrictions on your property to say that you can't sell this to a person of color. You have to sell this home uh, to another white person. And so this 
this is a way to use almost that same architecture, deed restrictions, to make housing affordable, uh, to undo some of that damage from redlining from deed restrictions. And so um, by the nonprofit holding the land, you're getting a cheaper purchase price. And then when you go to resell, unlike, you know, you can't just go in and flip it because your neighborhoods become more valuable. You can't sell above a certain level. And so that keeps the, the home permanently affordable. And so land trusts are this almost collective to individual ownership model where you can have permanently affordable housing. So, Jim, whose ass do I got to kiss for 30 years to get some land trusts around here? Uh, I mean, India's, what, 38? Yeah. So she'll still be around in 60 oh, okay. years. Okay. Right. So I would, I would start with her. Yeah, well, and, in, and, and thank you, Rusty, for that. That was a, a great explanation. Um, India herself, uh, Miss Walton herself, said, well, in this article, she said, I'm not anti-development. I'm anti-development with displacement. Um. And then to the point about land trusts, that land trusts are democratically run community-based nonprofits that take the ownership of land as a community, determine how it's developed, focused on affordable housing, but also commercial development and cooperatively owned resources. We hear a lot about the, the Fruit Belt Community Land Trust, and I think that it's important that we really kind of do our part to get the word out there about what that means, because I think it is a radical, like a radically good idea that can make housing way more affordable, make it way more viable for people in the city of Buffalo. Cause right now it just, man, like we are up the Creek without a paddle. We, you know, we, my thing is like, do you know, can you imagine what the Buffalo news would do if India were proposing like a referendum that happened in Berlin last week? I was just going to bring that up, yeah. <laughs> they would lose their collective fucking mind. What happened? So they, there was a referendum. Now, it's not legally binding, but it it won so overwhelmingly, like, the politicians in Germany are going to have a lot of pressure. I think it was one, like, 56 to 39. Was that right, Rusty? Yeah. To basically expropriate, like, 240,000 commercially owned uh, like uh, t uh, apartments and basically decommodify housing as much as possible in Berlin. And to bring the prices down so that they're they're more affordable, and like you want to say, like that's not so that's that's straight up communism type of stuff there. That like that would, I mean, fuck. If you think Doug Jamal gave a bunch of money this time, how much do you think he would give if he thought he was going to lose two hundred forty thousand apartments? I mean, again, you you knew why the you know why the battle lines are drawn with the developing class in the city and why they're so hard behind byron brown but it, it, it's worth it's worth examining i think what kind of policies that miss um, walton is putting forward that why they would be so opposed to her you know because these are a big deal basically taking it out of like the goddamn money grubbing hands of these fucking shitheads who just sit on all of this property and then just the multiplier effect and they just make more money with the property just sitting there and charge you through the roof like ah oh my god just makes me sick well, I mean, because what they do now is like, like they buy up all the property and then they can artificially raise the price because nobody has any property for sale except for them. Oh, God. Well, you know. it's, I, I want to run a similar scheme with Byron Brown stamps where I buy up all the Byron Brown stamps. <laughs> yeah, I think in Buffalo, though, you don't even have like she doesn't even have to do something as radical. And Rusty and I have had this conversation as well of like a referendum or charter revision. I mean, she. She wins the election. She's got 7,300 vacant lots that are publicly owned. She has the biggest asset that's necessary. Mm -hmm. She doesn't even have to create a land trust, really. I mean, at the end of the day, she has the most expensive initial investment, in, which is real property, vacant right. land. So all she has to do is basically turn that over to the people that can raise the funds to do the development and 
the, the bigger problem and the bigger challenge really isn't just creating a land trust or um, disposing of all those vacant lots. It's actually doubling down and in, in investing in the neighborhoods in the communities where those lots are. Right. So you don't just create the conditions which urban renewal started, which is you wipe out a neighborhood, vacate it, and you put the poorest people in the worst neighborhood that the municipality refuses to invest in. She has an opportunity with vacant lots to, and I've been beating this drum forever to, to do something transformative in the city of Buffalo that the mayor has refused to do. We're one of the largest cities in the country that doesn't even have neighborhood level plans. So there's no strategy behind it. I've argued for a long time that the city is functionally redlining large parts of the city by refusing to invest in it in the same way that invests in other places. Mm -hmm. So to me, the, the biggest potential transformative transformative change in the city of Buffalo really centers on those vacant lots. And if, if she gets in office, it's, she doesn't have to take it to the land trust point. She can basically, and you know, conversations we've had, she can democratize a conversation around how we dispose of those and plan for those places and how we reinvest in those without even having to deal with the land trust. That could be a secondary part or another tool in the toolbox, but it doesn't have to be the, the guiding principle that, that, that drives all land decisions in the city. Mm -hmm. It's basically opening up those vacant lots and figuring out a way to invest in those lots in those neighborhoods so that you're supporting the people who live there. So it's and that's, yeah, that, and that's one of the biggest distinctions, I'd say, between the two candidates, and there are many. But the reason that the city doesn't do anything with those lots is, of course, speculation, right? If you hold on to it longer, then you can sell them off one by one through the real estate department and get market value. And so if market prices are going to continue to rise, that's an opportunity to continue to raise funds so much so that those real estate transactions are written into the budget every year before they actually get sold because there's anticipation that those sales are going to happen. Um, and so... If you you know go to anybody in the city, you'll often hear that well you know our hands are tied. It's law that we have to we can't sell property off for less than fair market value. We need to get fair market value for it. Now there are laws around that. There are state laws around that. But there's also a state law saying that exactly what Jason is saying and what he and I have been talking about for years. Um, that if you actually invest in neighborhood level planning, if you do redevelopment planning, there's state law that's saying you can give lots away basically for free or lease them uh, 99 years for like a dollar a year if they're going to um, contribute to the vision set forth in redevelopment plans at the neighborhood scale, right? And so if you actually take that time and do that work, then this argument that we can't uh, give you a lot, that we have to seek fair market value for it or, or highest and best use for it, that breaks down pretty easily. And so if you invest in that work, which I, I think I think, um, you know, as Jason said, is something that um, a new administration could definitely prioritize and do and direct City Hall staff to do. Um, then you break down that barrier and all of a sudden those lots do become an asset. They become usable. They're no longer stranded um, assets out there just waiting to be sold off one by one. It can be a big rollout and, and something transformative. <clears throat> and they deact. So they, what they did essentially when they passed the Green Code is deactivate the existing homestead plan. And by deactivating the homestead plan and basically saying any lot that's currently um, in the city's inventory that's in, in an eligible homestead area will remain in homestead eligibility. But any new lot that comes in is not. And so essentially you created a cut point where anything that the city acquires in their inventory can be sold for fair market value. Anything outside of the of an urban or what is essentially the homestead plan, anything out of those um, homestead areas has to be sold for fair market value. So essentially what they did was they, they created this idea that you have to have everything sold for fair market value. Mm -hmm. The reality is, as Rusty said, and, and, and I've done research and, and written on this as well, is essentially they can adopt a new homestead plan. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is, under state law, pass a new 
publicly vetted, council-approved urban renewal plan that in, in the homestead becomes a the homestead plan becomes a tool in that in that new adoption, and you can make the whole city a home, homestead eligible, which is what. Well, was going to be on the books, and they decided at the eleventh hour not to do that. So they basically had a, a homestead, a new homestead plan that was basically the entire city. And at the eleventh hour, they ripped, they deactivated the existing and refused to uh, to to pass the new one, so that they could sell everything for fair market value. Well, I, I hope they get the new homestead plan in act because there's that vacant lot on Elmwood where there was a house fire like twelve years ago, and you know it's like right between like St. James and, and Lafayette, and I'd like to buy that for a dollar. Yeah. Oh yeah, that'd be a good one. <laughs> yeah. We could we could use I mean I love the snake pit but we could have the snake pit too right we uh, have, well that's what I want to do is I'm not going to build a property on it I'm just going to dig like sixty feet deep and make a snake pit for us <laughs> and, uh, yeah we're going to have <laughs> actual snakes <laughs> yeah so that'll be maybe that'll be the snake pit three after CBW oh right right, then, right. you know and then we'll start some kind of religion for the third snake I was just pit. at CBW side note oh. I was just at CBW on Friday for that beer tasting that I was talking about oh yes awesome. Awesome. We're, I'm waiting for the official endorsement from them. Um, Did you talk that, to anyone there while you were there? No, I had too many beers. Oh, but, okay. <laughs> but maybe someday. Maybe someday. I CBW, know, whose ass do I got to kiss for 30 years? Oh, that's, that's <laughs> a great point. To, to get some endorsements here. Yes, yes. I know we're going long on the mayor's race, but hey. You people love it, okay? Mm-hmm. And we're the they're, we're the only source that you can trust for this stuff. Obviously, the Buffalo News sucks. Investigative Post they're great, but you know, I, I have no other uh, commentary after that. I love them, but we're the only podcast you can trust for this stuff. Uh, last little bit about the mayor's race. We did have a performer, I believe, an employee of Marcella's who I, I don't know too much about this. Um, I did see India Walton tweet about it. I know that there was an employee at Marcella's who held a fundraiser for India Walton, and I believe the owners of Marcella's are notoriously uh, pro Byron Brown. So this person was fired for Marcella's. I don't know enough about the background of the story other than to say that sucks. I don't like it. Yeah, uh, she didn't host a fundraiser. There was there was a fundraiser that was like the LGBTQIA community for India at the Eugene V. Debs like meeting place. Uh, and this was a drag performer who performed and was then fired. Okay, so the performer is actually fired for just for performing. Just for performing. This. Just for just merely for being part of the host committee. And we say Byron is petty. <laughs> yeah, th- th- that sucks. So anyway, for I know a lot of folks do just listen for the mayor's coverage. But yeah, for all- well, that's why we're moving it to the end for like our, it's going to be our uh, you'll have to cheer for us for our encore to come out from now on. <laughs> yes. Yes. But but for all the sweeties out there who stick with us when they're they're eating their vegetables, you know, we're. We do it for you because we think it's valuable. We think it's important. And that's why, Jim, we're, we're throwing it over right now to Jim's financial corner. Mm. Because, in fact, there go. are other races going on than just the mayor's race. Can you believe it? I know it's the big one. I know it takes up a lot of oxygen in the room. Hold your fucking asses. You hold <laughs> your fucking asses. Yeah. Because we've, Here got, we go. we've got some other races. Jim, give us the deets. So I, I looked into t- briefly, I did not real deep. I'll probably do a deeper dive, although next week we're busy, but maybe the week after we can get into it a little bit for county controller, county sheriff, and our fun race that we love paying attention to supervisor in the town of Hamburg. So for county controller, uh, you've got the endorsed Democrat, Kevin Hardwick. So he started um, as of his July filing with about 51,000 in his account. He raised from, July to September, 41K. 
He spent about twenty, and he's got about seventy-two thousand dollars on hand. That's a pretty good little war chest to run for county controller. He'll be able to do some effective campaigning, uh, mailers, TV ads, get out the door, get out the vote, canvassing stuff. Get like out that. the door. Get out the door. Get out the. Get out the door. <laughs> get, and out get out the door. door. <laughs> Go on, get. get. Get out of here. This is my house now. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, that's what I'm, you, I'm the good controller now. Right. Look at me. Yeah. Uh, look at me. I'm the controller now. Yeah. Yeah. Lynn Dixon started with 55K, so $4,000 more, raised 40000 so about $1,000 less than Hardwick raised, but only spent 15K, so she has 80K on hand. It helps that like she last ran for county executive, so she had a fair amount of money coming in because she had leftover money from the county executive. Notable donations for Lynn Dixon, she got $1,000 each from William Palladino, from Larry Quinn, and from Dennis Vaco. Dennis Vaco. That's like a, I feel like that's a hell of a throwback name. That's a Buffalo Erie County name from the past. Vaco showed up a bunch of times uh, giving donations to Republican candidates because he gave some money to Garcia too. And it was like, what, what uh, are you, are you going to make a, a comeback for attorney general 20 years after you were there or what's, what's going on? <laughs> All right, let's talk about the sheriff's race. Let's talk about uh, the least important person first. <laughs> 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 so so karen healy case was pretty much totally inactive she gave a thousand dollars back in donations to prior donors after she lost the primary she raised 250 dollars. but what was fucking interesting to me was who those 250 dollars came from friends of mike ranselhofer oh. don't hassle the hoff after she lost the primary he still gave her 250 now, it's not a big deal for friends of Mike Ranshofer. Yeah, what's, now, he, what's he got in his war chest? Yeah, what, Rusty, you occasionally look at the financials. How much money do you think Mike Ranshofer, who hasn't been in the state senate for like four years now, has sitting around in his uh, campaign account? Uh, you know, I, I last looked at his financials <laughs> probably about 10 years ago. Um, so I, I don't have an up-to-date amount, but I'm going to guess uh, I'll, I'll throw out 60 over $800,000 left of his account. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my God. He had about eight eleven left in his account last wow. night, look, as of July. And he can only spare two fifty, <laughs> Right? <laughs> what? He's going out to Denny's every day. <laughs> wow. That's a lot of Big Macs. Yeah. That is, that is yeah. a lot of Big Macs. Yeah. Let's see. All right. So, Kim Beatty, as of July, she had only $7,500 in her account. Not great. Not, not fantastic. But she raised 90000 that's pretty good. She spent forty seven. She had about fifty k in hand. Uh, most notable big donors for her was she got ten thousand dollars from SEIU and she got ten k from Zellner for chair. He better cough it up. <laughs> he better fucking cough it up. Every <laughs> getting beat like a drum in the primary. It's about time he jumped on board, right? Now John Garcia, who won the Republican primary in the upset, right? He only had four k as of July. He raised two hundred and forty nine thousand dollars. Holy shit. Oh. Now that includes fifty thousand dollars in loans from himself, but outside of that, that's still one hundred ninety nine thousand dollars that he raised. That's, does that include in kind, or is that all cash? That it does include it in kind. Were there any like uh, odd in kind ones that that made that amount huge? No, nothing. That, I mean, he he's got a lot of like wow. five to thousand dollar donors, and like he's raised a ton of money. Jeez. He spent sixty two, but he had about one hundred ninety thousand dollars on hand as of thirty two day pre primary. TV commercials work or not, expect to see a bunch of John fucking Garcia commercials on television soon. But going into these financials, this was the most surprising thing for me out of all uh, out of everything I looked at. Ted Donato, who is a Republican, he's like an Amherst cop. He's running on an independent line. As of July, he had seventy four thousand dollars in his account. Jesus. Wow. 
Now, that includes about $50,000 of loans from himself and his family. Oh, okay. He raised $45,000. Jesus. That's that's some solid betting on yourself right now. I mean, what well, I mean, he 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 spent 68,000. He's got 50k on hand. He as an independent nominee, independent nominee line has as much on hand as the endorsed democrat. I mean, help me out here. Is this a harbinger of of bad omens or what? Because Mm-mm. That's no. a lot of money for Republican-based candidates here and not a lot for the Beatty campaign. Well, see, I, I think it actually makes it even better for Beatty because, like, she'll raise some money between now and in the election and get some stuff done. But if two Republicans are going to be on TV running commercials against each other, then the, Ted Donato is going to pick up. Like, Ted Donato might end up getting, like, 7% of the vote, which is enough to crush John Garcia's dreams. Especially if the city's turning out and all those Democrats are voting in the city, they might split between Indy and Byron because it's two different Democrats, but then they're going to go to the sheriff's race and go, oh, yeah, Democrat. Perhaps, perhaps, although we've been on the beat for a while now that um, at least the South Buffalo Democratic faction, there seems to be some kind of understanding or some kind of tacit alliance between Byron Brown voters and John Garcia Mm -hmm. potential voters. So um, we'll we'll keep an eye on that, and then let's let's talk about our friends in Hamburg. Oh, oh Hokemania, baby! Oh. So Hokemania, oh. the the ho- the hoaxer, he had about twenty k in his account as of July. He's raised fifteen k since then. He spent eight k, so he had about twenty nine thousand dollars on hand for a town race. That's pretty good. Mm. Twenty nine thousand dollars for the town of Hamburg. I mean, he's not doing TV commercials. He's gonna do some mallers. He'll do some thank you notes, you know. Uh, he should buy some stamps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. with that kind of money. Yep. <laughs> some stamp money right there. Now, and then we've got his opponent, fucking Stefan Mihailu. Oh, boy. So here's the, here's the thing with Stefan Mihailu. So this. Oh. <laughs> can't, I don't know if we can use that one anymore, Jim. Oh, we, we might have to put that one away. <laughs> I could get way worse than that. He hasn't even come up. He hasn't founded a committee for town supervisor. He is still using his county controller office uh, committee. That's 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 a no. That's illegal. That you can't do that. You have to if you're running for a different office, you have to make a new committee for that office. Well, you, you can, just told me that any illegalities don't count if you get voted into office, right? But, I mean, election day illegal. Election day, election day oh, illegalities. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I mean, Biden's still president. Yeah. I mean, what's, well, yeah. I mean, that's true. What's the, what, yeah. what are we what are we quibbling about? <laughs> uh, so he's still using his county controller account for this. He started at like 38K, so he had almost double what Randy had in July. He raised only $7,200, though, between July and September, which is not a lot. He spent $26,500. On what? Well, pizza at a Proud Boys rally or something? Uh, I mean, I'm sure that was part of it. But interestingly enough, hey, uh, do, you guys, do you guys remember the name of uh, uh, a little polling firm called Coefficient? <laughs> I've heard of it. Heard of it. Uh, so in July, Stefan spent $10,000 on a poll from the coefficient. $10,000? Haven't heard anything about that one, though. Hmm. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, that's what, as Ryan pointed out, like, or Snake said, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. Like, if that poll had been favorable to Stefan Mihailu, we would have seen it everywhere. Don't you think we may have seen it out? Now, now if I recall correctly, coefficient. And that's a firm that that poll should have been pretty goddamn favorable. Right, right. right. They skew heavy toward. So you're saying of. is we need to both start a political action committee and a polling organization because there's tons of money floating around. Absolutely, there for yes, hundred percent. Yep. I'll start my Not own. Pat Rusty, mm-hmm. big cat. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm taking notes. Yep, <laughs> we'll tell you whatever you want to hear. I, so, you know, you don't like those results. We'll give you better ones. So it's gonna cost you more money for the better ones. <laughs> right, we'll right, do it. right. So Stefan only had about 19k on hand, so he's about ten thousand dollars lower than uh, Hoaxer as of the 32 day filing. And notably, now I mentioned, you know, Ted Donato had fifty thousand dollars in loans. Garcia had fifty thousand dollars in loans, but they had, you know, respectively. 50k on hand so they could pay themselves back if they didn't do anything and didn't raise any more money 190k so could easily pay themselves back stefan had 19k on hand but apparently based off best i could tell from the filings he uh has about thirty-eight thousand dollars in personal loans that he owes himself um (laughs) uh, if you're only raising seventy two hundred dollars between july and september and you this is a controller that's in charge of money yeah Oh, okay. Just, just double check. Without any experience, by the way. Right, without any experience. Yeah, well, he got that. Jo- he got that job without any experience. Yeah. Oh well, they're gonna come looking to break his legs if uh, <laughs> this doesn't work out for him. Which I, I got a bad feeling for. Yeah. For, so uh, our erstwhile Stefan. Yeah. Uh, if, if there's any other uh, races that you're listening and you're like, man, what's the financials going on there? Feel free to tweet at us, and uh, I'll, I'll get back to you. We may not cover it in the show, but I'll I'll, I'll respond on Twitter. What's Twitter? It's Jim's little parlor trick. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's Jim's financial financial corner. Um, Jim's <laughs> mad money. <laughs> Jim's squawk box. Are we buying or selling, Jim? Uh, the, the financial guys. Uh, Where's so, that button? Uh, uh, buy, buy GameStop. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's the button. There's right there. the button. All right. So that was the money. Uh, speaking of bringing in the money, Ron DeSantis, everybody's favorite Florida Ooh, governor, Ron boy. DeSantis. He braved the cold of Buffalo. He 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 was like one of the snowbirds. Yeah, but in, you know, in the other direction, he came up here in uh, in October and and had a little fundraiser for himself, hosted by uh, Mr. Sinatra mm-hmm. at at Sinatra's restaurant, right? Yes, sir. Yes, yes. So Ron DeSantis was raising money from all the usual shitheads you uh, you know and love here in Buffalo. Most of them, I'm assuming, gave to or will continue to give to Byron Brown, but. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a relatively like you know affordable fundraiser. How much I, was it? Uh, it was five to twenty five thousand dollars, depending on the pro, what you wanted to do. Is that it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to get like the VIP tickets, where it gave you a chance to like actually talk to Ron DeSantis, it was going to cost you a cool twenty five k. Ooh boy. I mean, it's of note. Look, however you shake it, like Ron DeSantis is probably the most high profile. Republican in the country right now, short of Donald Trump. Uh, I know a lot of people are betting on him to be the Republican nominee. We're still quite a way a ways out from the 2024 election. Thank God. Is it notable one way or the other that we had such a high profile figure here in Buffalo for this? Or is it just, hey, he's going to go wherever uh, he can fundraise money from? Oh, he's going to go wherever he can fundraise money from. I mean, I I don't think that Ron DeSantis raising money in Buffalo means he's got a chance of winning New York State in 2024. <laughs> I, I don't think so either. But I mean, is it note? Does it say something about Buffalo or Western New York as a region that uh, he'd come here, or just that there's a lot of shitheads around that he can I, raise money from? I mean, it's, we talked about this, right? Like, you know, we talked about this with Dave Weigel, right? Like that Buffalo is one of the ground zeros for the shithead Republican movement with Paladino and Langworthy, and you know, and and their their money people that they and they they get to throw cash at them you know and they, i mean that stain rubs off on people like bob joya too who likes to try to stay above the fray but like he shows up at all these he, he hosts and shows up at all these fucking fundraisers you, know, you can't pretend like just because you're the ambassador to malta 
that like you get to be fucking above it all. <laughs> oh yes, well they're they're gonna keep doing their thing. I mean, we we've had other big time Republican fundraiser yeah. fundraisers here in the past, so mm-hmm. it's not it's not unheard of. How, but how, how much furrowing of brow and rubbing of hands do you think happened at the fundraiser? Oh, I mean, yeah. I you know. I, I, I'll, I'll keep an eye on the COVID numbers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe we should keep an eye on that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Russ, you need yeah. a COVID electoral map <laughs> <laughs> just to follow, just to follow all the uh, all the campaign events. Just to make serious, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that Byron was jealous that he couldn't have a twenty five thousand dollar head fundraiser. At was he there? Uh, yeah, I didn't see him there. And West York Media posted pictures of like everybody as they walked into the event. Oh. So, you know, the only person I recognized uh, besides, like, the traditional Republican sheds was Dwayne Paddock of Paddock Chevrolet. So, apparently, you know, we'll after, be going the, there anytime, a- so. after the buyout of Big Auto, yeah. uh, they're doing okay. So, don't, so we're not shopping at Paddock Chevy is what you're saying? I'm not. All right, good. You, do good you do know. what you want. You're, you're, no, I, I'm definitely not now. <laughs> you're, you're an adult. You have your own yeah. agency. All right. Well, they're off the list. Sure. Well, a, a lot of uh, a lot of these characters you might have seen at the DeSantis fundraiser, Jim. Uh, how how many of them are, do you think are going to be at this upcoming uh, Dave DiPietro fundraiser? Well, so this is I, I want to talk about this because this is real fucking interesting to me. This Dave DiPietro fundraiser, ostensibly, it's a fundraiser for Western New York students first or WNY students first. Who knows what the WNY stands for? I just <laughs> projecting it stands for Western New York. Why not you? Why not you? Yeah, uh, WNY students first. Which is like an anti-mask, yeah. anti-vax yeah. organization. They're having a fundraiser, which is ostensibly for WNY students first. And it says proceeds will be given to them. But when you go there, you have to write a check to DiPietro for assembly. Mm. Oh. And they don't say 100% of proceeds will go to WNY students first. Sounds like a little no. bit of a flim flam to me. Oh, d- definitely. I mean, there's going to be a bunch no. of people who are going to end up on... <laughs> Political mailer lists who didn't realize that they're going to end up on political mailer lists. And so, and this WNY students first is a 501c4, which means that they are allowed to engage in political activity as far as like, that's the IRS code for the nonprofit that they are is a 501c4. Most of your traditional nonprofits are 501c3s where your donations are tax deductible, but they can't engage in any political activity. Uh, 501c4 donations, notably not tax deductible, and they, they are allowed to get involved in campaigns. That is mighty interesting. You know, for Dave DiPietro, who, you know, who's like the, the only piece of legislation he ever introduces, and he introduces it every fucking session, and everybody just looks at it and like rolls their eyes and like pushes it back into the closet, is uh, he always submits the legislation to, to divide New York into three separate oh, states. Right. <laughs> yeah, because that, that makes a whole lot of sense, right? I mean, cut, cut Wall Street off from upstate New York, and, and we'll just starve. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Good, good move, buddy. Yeah, I don't think he's too good at math. No. Moving on uh, to the worst of Western New York, to some of the best of Western New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, our folks over at CWA and, and the nurses, they're on strike. I have, a, uh, I have a question. Who's asked, do I have to kiss for 30 years <laughs> to get some safe staffing oh, well, for uh, nurses? Uh, apparently not Catholic health. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that, that, that's not the ass you have to kiss because uh, it sounds like they tried that and that didn't work. So CWA is on strike and they are, you know, they're they're out there in front of Mercy Hospital and raising hell. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll see where it goes, but it, it's, it sucks. I'm sorry. It sucks that you have, I have a lot of friends who are nurses. I know a lot of people who are in that industry who. Cool brag. Cool, 
cool that I know a lot of nurses? <laughs> <laughs> Way to back, Pat. I mean, <laughs> okay, I sure. Cool. I don't know. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. sick brag. Okay. <laughs> no, look, I, I think it sucks that these these people are caregivers. They want to be with their patients. They want to be in the hospital. I know it probably tears them apart to have to say, no, I can't take care of you, but also my employer is treating me like absolute dog shit. Right. We mentioned this last week on the pod, like Catholic Health had posted their ads for the scabs that they were going to hire to work across the lines. Yeah. And they were paying like $100 more an hour. Yeah, $100 more <laughs> an hour. So like For the scabs. So yeah, so like, I don't know, but like, color me skeptical that there's not room to negotiate. I think there might be a little room. Because that uh, the money to the scabs is temporary, right? Right. Not that, permanent. That's the that's that, the deal. Like, that's the argument. It keeps us open and we're going to provide the care that we need to provide. But at the end of the day, it's not. It's not a three-year, five, or whatever year agreement where you're stuck with it, right? Right. We're, we're going to pay you $100 more, so you're not doing what these people outside of the hospital are doing right now. Right. Yeah. Those, those experienced people. Yes, those experienced people who are very invested and in, and do their jobs. Right, because like, for years. I didn't look at like what the qualifications are for the scabs, but I assume like they're just hiring a bunch of people from like Tim Hortons. Well, but wait a minute. Well, we're, isn't there a nursing shortage? Like, who are these people? <laughs> what, yeah. Who the hell is crossing the picket line is qualified for the job if the, we don't have enough people right. qualified for the fucking job? Right. And, and, and <laughs> I mean, doesn't make any sense. And, and they all have to be vaccinated. <laughs> oh. oh, boy. Oh, man. Wah, wah, wah. Well, and that's, and that's the thing is, so I think there might be some misconception out there that the, the nurses are on strike because of the COVID vaccine, because we we have seen some healthcare workers who have quit because of that, but um, yeah, I mean, fuck those people. But this is this is a hundred percent about safe staffing, not anything to do with with uh, getting vaccinated or whatever. So, good luck to them, you know. And again, you guys raise a great point: who the fuck is going to be the scab labor? Right, like who, literally, who is going to do it? I don't know. For hundred bucks an hour, I'll do it. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Actually, it was uh, the oncology nurses. I think we're making one forty-seven an hour. I mean, for $147 an hour, Adam Perry might do it. Got to say, though, uh, the, the solidarity, solidarity at the line has been amazing. So it just shows yeah. um, you know, how much of a union town Buffalo is. You got food there, elementary school kids showing up with food. Um, a lot of our local electeds were there on Saturday. So um, good stuff. Yeah, I've seen a lot of elected showing up, you know, Saturday or multiple days. Randy Hoke was there. Pat Burke was there. You know, speaking of friends of the podcast. The mayor fucking showed up, which was surprising since he just takes a whole bunch of money well, from I mean, Catholic I, health leadership, yeah. but whatever. If it wasn't an election year, would he show up? No, of course not. Right. It was, it, or if it wasn't an election year where he didn't fuck up bad. <laughs> trying to unfuck it. <laughs> right. He's, he's trying to unfuck that football right yeah, now, and yeah. it's, it's not working out too great for him. I saw today that uh, the Starbucks, the Starbucks workers were there uh, in nice. solidarity with the CWA. Uh, I saw, you know, SEIU was there earlier in the week. So there's also a GoFundMe out there. I think I think Brian Noick had something to do with that, or friend of the pod. So give to that if you can't go out there. Yep, help him out, mm -hmm. encourage him because it sucks. And I mean, come on, man. Like, and the the big thing, uh, the tagline yesterday's heroes, and it's like, yeah. A lot of these healthcare workers, we were saying like, oh, they're here. They're instead of <laughs> instead of paying them money or giving them actual viable working conditions. It's oh, you're a hero, and now it's today. Go fuck yourself. Right. I mean, yeah. it's it's coming around for everybody who was a hero during the pandemic. Like teachers got it already, uh, and now like nurses are getting it. This country grocery store workers, grocery store worker, workers, uh, restaurant workers. Well, restaurant workers are already lazy. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, it's uh, restaurant workers. If restaurant workers really cared, they would stop being so lazy and put themselves at risk to make no money. Yeah, right. So that I can get like a seven ninety five fish fry at you know at my local shop. 
and tip five percent <laughs> if they're lucky. If they're lucky, if, if they're lucky. right, yeah. yeah. If they're lucky, because if they didn't want to make just an extra five percent of tip, they'd get a real job. Oh wait, they all did. Fuck. <laughs> now I can't go to my favorite restaurant. Yeah. Uh, On the other side of the labor world, I don't think we have any big developments lately in the Starbucks uh, union push. I don't think anything has happened. We'll stay on top of it, though, listener, and uh, you know we'll let you know if anything major happens on that front. Yeah, I think the only thing I saw is that uh, one or two other local Starbucks are talking about maybe joining in on the unionization efforts. So that would bring it up to like a total of five uh, that unionize, Um, which, I mean... Has it's a step. Has Starbucks shitting their britches for you know? I don't understand why like a Starbucks is like getting so worked up about it. Like, what, oh my god, we might have to pay people reasonable wages. We only made hundreds of millions of dollars last year. I mean, it, it <laughs> got to pay those stock. The stockholders got to get their money right. Yep. Can't not have them get paid. No, I think they're probably shitting their britches because the multiplier effect. Where if it happens in Buffalo, it's going to happen all over the country. Right. Oh yeah, but I mean, like, yeah. even if they like, they're like, oh well, we're all unionized now. The entire fucking country is unionized. They have Starbucks in Europe. Those fuckers are unionized. Yeah, listen, at the end of the day, you go to fucking Starbucks, you can pass the dollar on to any idiot that stands in that line and spends $6 for a coffee drink. They'll spend seven. Like, (laughs) let's be honest. Like, the idea that we can't raise prices is like, these people are fucking addicted to the stuff you sell. Like, they're just going to keep coming. Like, so you're going to pass it on to the customer anyway. So what is the fight over? Right. Uh, Half the time I come here on my way to the the snake pit, I stop and pick up a a Cafe Misto from Starbucks. And it's like $4. And if I stop there, like, tomorrow, and they're like, well, we unionize, so it's $5. I'll be like, that's fine. All right, great. Whatever, fuck it, whatever. Because at the end of the year, it's what, a couple couple 20s out of your pocket total that right you spent, like, as it is like i'm probably handing them a five dollar bill now as it is and tipping them because they're not yeah. unionized so i know yeah. they get shit, shit wages yeah because yeah, it comes to 432 and you leave the you know the other 68 cents in the fucking <laughs> in the tip jar anyway right yeah it's so like you're giving it to them indirectly oh so that's the labor news um in the world of stock market violations our very own congressman brian Higgins, there's a world of stock market violations it, and it's bigger than you know holy my shit right, uh, it's uh, it's surprising like what all is I, stock all i can think is that brian higgins was very jealous of chris collins <laughs> or maybe he's going as Chris Collins for Halloween and he just got an early start on his costume. Brian Higgins violates the Stock Act, uh, which is notable for two reasons. One, the Stock Act police are out there. Although, unlike the Hatch Act police, I feel like there might actually be a Stock Act police. Yeah, there actually are. Like, the Stock <laughs> like, Act police are, like, really? legit. Like, the Hatch Act police is, is like, is like a Charlie Chaplin, like, Keystone Cops comedy. But, like, the, the Stock Act police, like, they're actually out there. And because, you know what? Because you can make money off of that. Because, like, the only people who violate the Hatch Act aren't people who have money. It's people in low-level government positions who are forced to do it. And they're making $35,000 a year. Like, So how much can you possibly find them? But uh, this, the Stock Act police, where you're like, well, you illegally traded 15,000 shares of this stock. Yes, but it, it's, it's also notable because Brian Higgins was one of the sponsors of the Stock Act. Womp womp. Do you think he read it? You think like the whole thing or just like the brief? The, the, I mean, somebody in his office read the brief. Do you think he just signed it and thought, well, I can uh, buy as many and sell as many stocks as I want? <laughs> right, yeah. That's, right. right. He, he actually thought it was about soup. <laughs> <laughs> Some regulations over the exact definition of stock. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it must have celery, carrots, and onions. Otherwise, it's not stock. Right, yeah. It's between <laughs> stock and broth. I right, hope yeah, it settles yeah. it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It, without, with no mirepoix. It's, yeah. it's garbage. It's. Yeah. Shit. 
<laughs> well, yeah, Rob, Rob Galbraith put us on to this one. The Buffalo News article, Brian Higgins joins a list of Stock Act violators for reporting three transactions late. Uh, he failed to report three stock transactions valued at up to $115,000. That's... You know, that's some walking around money. Mm-hmm. That's some. That's a little money in your pocket. Uh, until 11 months after he made them, even though a law he co-sponsored required him to report those deals within 45 days. So, come on, man. You know better. You, you Maybe you don't. Maybe you didn't read your stock act, but you know better. Right. 11 months. Oh, and, and he. so he said, uh, quote, this is from the article, well, it's on me. I made a mistake by neglecting to file a timely periodic transition report for several trades I made last fall, Higgins said. I take full responsibility for it. I will pay whatever fine is associated with that mistake, and I will make sure this doesn't happen again. So Brian Higgins says, I'm sawy. Yeah. Well, it's, you know it's a white-collar crime when he's like, I'll pay whatever fine it is. Yeah. Right? Because I like, made more than that in the trade. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. It's, it's not like they're like, well, because you fucked up, we're sending you to Rikers for three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you like to hear what the fine is, Jim? Higgins can be fined $200, oh. a whole big whopping $200 wow. worth of fines for each of his late reports under the Stock Act. So 600 bucks. Yes, basically. So three trades, 600 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I don't know where he's going to find that kind of money. Yeah, Rusty, it, it, you're going to have to cough up that 600 bucks. He might have to pick up a couple of shifts bartending at the Irish Center. <laughs> maybe, maybe he can save up for not getting his hair done. I don't know. Can we talk about how bad his hair is? <laughs> <All right. laughs> I think it looks nice. Does he comb his hair with, like, you know, a penny loafer a or pork something? Chop. Yeah, pork chop. <laughs> Pitchfork. Pitchfork. <laughs> Right. Well, the, I mean, that's one way you can pay for it. The, the stock, the stock, and and Rob actually got quoted in the Buffalo News, which hey, our boy doing big things, yeah. love to see it. Yeah. But uh, what Mister uh, High Waisted Pants was actually buying stock in was was, was Nvidia, which is a um, it, they graphics card, graphic cards. Yeah. yeah. So the stock went; it was worth between a, a thousand and fifteen thousand in October, but dramatically increased his holdings. So basically, he bought like a whole bunch of video card uh, software stock, which then went hardware up. Stock. Or hardware, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Hardware stock, but I mean, anybody, I, I'm not a computer guy. That's that's what we have Snake yeah. for. But I do know I've seen people bitching about trying to get anything with a video card in it is like nigh impossible right now. Because of crypto mining. Right, I was going to say, this but, is actually- but normally it's ATI cards, not NVIDIA. Here's where it, like Brian's trying to get into crypto. Yeah, okay. But he's he bought the wrong cards. <laughs> no. I mean, you can use them, but right, yeah. it's, it's good. He can play uh, some video games, though, right? Right, yeah, oh, oh yeah, yeah. For, absolutely. For, for, <laughs> right, well, yeah. PC gaming is kind of getting a resurgence now. Yeah, right? PC gaming is getting a little bit of resurgence. Right. Shifting from consoles, well, because uh, you can't get the console, right? Right. Yep. You can't. You can't buy the console because the consoles. It's basically like the the real estate where Zillow's buying up all the real yeah. estate and stuff like that. It's the mm. same thing with some well heeled investors are buying up all the consoles as soon as they're released and then selling them for like three times mm. the. MSRP. So Brian Higgins, a well-known Twitch follower, <laughs> right, right, right. Twitch streamer, Twitch streamer, right? It's at yeah. which at Twitch. Yeah, so, if you, so he, he's a, he's got his nose of the the street. And, and I just saw that Twitch is going to allow people to like promote their streams oh, to okay. push them up to the top. Like so, like when you're like, oh, if you watch this stream, you might like this stream. So like, mm. if you're watching. PewDiePie, you might like Brian Higgins. <laughs> but probably not. <laughs> Ooh. I'm just imagining Brian Higgins like playing God of War. And- <laughs> uh, thanks for the bits in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> 
Smash the like button. Smash. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So thanks for the subscription for another three months. All right. Oh, thanks for the prime subscription. Oh man. Well, uh, twenty-five gifted subs by Tim Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh well. Around news and region, guys, we had um, we have to pour one out for a real one. Yeah. Yep. Uh, probably the best owner of the Sabres that uh, that we've had in our lifetimes. I think I was alive when the Knoxes owned it, so I'm going to say second best owner. Okay, well, right. John Regis, rip, rip, yep. Regis or Regis, 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 whatever, whatever. So you know, we talked about him before the podcast. We thought he had died a few years ago, <laughs> right? Yeah, we're horrible so, people. So either either we got we got things mixed up, or we were in Mandela effect. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I was so surprised to find out that he had been alive. Yeah, he got out of prison in 2016 because I think a cancer diagnosis or mm. something. But oh, su- surprised to hear he uh, made it to the ripe old age of 90, whatever it was. He was he was as Ree likes to point out. I went to St. Bonaventure. <laughs> no, we wouldn't have known otherwise. And just uh, told us when I was there. This was before like the whole Adelphia Riga scandal happened. Like he made a big donation to the school, so they renamed it the Riga's Court at the Riley Center. Mm-hmm. Oh, the uh, iron. That didn't last too long. Did that it? did not last very long. Like, it's only got taken away. They really don't make scandals like the uh, Adelphia scandal anymore. We don't have uh, our rich people go to jail like that anymore. They they usually now they can buy themselves out of it or mm-hmm. get a slap on the wrist. But man. So, well, well that was a fun time that's that's what happens when like if you're a rich person from like a metropolitan area you can buy your way out of it but you can't become a rich person from like southwestern new york state northwestern pennsylvania and continue to live there if you can become a rich person like pagula but you have to move to a, like a, a like florida and hobnob with other rich people mm. because if not then you're a threat to rich people they don't want some bumpkin becoming rich they don't want the real life beverly hillbillies all right. So wait, Cowdersport is not a metropolitan area. Is that what you're saying? Uh, you know, it's. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it is in my heart. Okay, I wasn't sure. I, I what what kind of what MSA is it? Is the Cowdersport MSA? It's, it's probably a micropolitan. <laughs> <laughs> so John Regis, pour one out as I said. And we're picking on Pennsylvania with our good friend and oh, diehard true. Steelers and Penguins fan. Right, well, and he had watching. A, he, was, he, he had to be having a tough enough time watching the Steelers today as it was. Yeah, Rusty, you started talking about Big Ben earlier, and I was thinking about the other Big Ben. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think that Big Ben is uh, time for retirement when Ben Carlisle <laughs> is just hitting his stride. So. <laughs> now, what if Ben Carlisle, instead of running for mayor, tried to be the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers? He's probably more mobile. You know, I, I heard that he plants one tree every year and rides his bike to work every day, so I bet he's there. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, good luck to uh, Ben Carlisle in his quarterbacking endeavors. <laughs> um, are, are we announcing like a, a Ben for Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback uh, campaign right here? Yeah, it Absolutely. sounds like it. Yes. Yeah, I, I would like to replace uh, Ben with Ben. Right. I, I would like to write a, a, a contract for the Steelers that they can only have quarterbacks named Ben. <laughs> and from, we have the guy. We have a guy for them. Just the guy for you, Pittsburgh. In the world of entertainment, Ryan, Snake, oh. we've got, uh, I would say our friend, I mean, I'd love to have him be a friend Oh, it would be pod. great if he were on the pod, but Benny the Butcher, December 28th, coming to Rapids. Which some, some folks... Another have, potential Steelers quarterback right there. Yeah. Another, oh, oh, a third Ben. Oh. So many Bennies. Benny, <laughs> oh my Benny God. Benny the quarterback. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. wow. 
Wow. That just happened I, yeah, on I this would, podcast. I would say that if Benny the Butcher was a quarterback for the Steelers, it may be effective because so many players on their team would be like, can I just have your autograph like during the middle of a play? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, Benny the Butcher coming to, although uh, his promotional materials did say to Buffalo, there is a little controversy because the Rapids Theater is not, that's not Buffalo. It's in the falls, baby. You that's, guys need some geographers on this show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You. That's why we have you guys around, and we definitely need more geologists. So, yes. yeah, Jason, yeah, yeah. Well, I have two degrees. Geology, <laughs> yeah, yeah, geography, yeah, yeah. So right. right. <laughs> Our listeners wouldn't be able to explain the difference. So, no, I don't frankly, I, I don't think I, I have to. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. um, but, but, gentlemen, our esteemed scholars, uh, you were recently. You were mentioned in, was it in the Buffalo News or where was this uh, diversification in the region piece that came out? Don't give it me blanks. The, there's. It was in this morning's Buffalo. I don't know if Rusty saw it. I I did not no. So <laughs> he's just so hey, used. You're you're quoted in the Buffalo News today by Caitlin and her Caitlin Dewey and her story about the diversification of the suburbs. Congratulations. I mean, I'm I'm sure it was super astute and uh, well thought out. <laughs> yeah, it was really it was pretty tight. Good work. Oh, I was in the Buffalo News this morning. Uh, oh, uh, <laughs> we're it's not Jacobin. We're 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 still blacklisted from the Buffalo News. Oh. I'm surprised that I am not. But. I don't have a subscription. I, every time I click on an article <laughs> to read, I get that you have to subscribe link, and so I just gave up. If, if your name is in the Come Buffalo on, bro, News, get a VPN and get with it. Right. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> You should get an automatic subscription, I think, if you're quoted in the Buffalo News. That's true. Yeah. yeah. At the very least. One day, I cannot wait for this podcast to be in the Buffalo News, but it's definitely going to be like lighting us up. It's going to be shitting all oh, over yeah. us. Yeah. 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 I, well, it could be after they hear this one. Oh, it could be after they hear this one. Yeah. Those two guys again? <laughs> right. Or you guys could be blackballed from the Buffalo News going eh, forward. Entirely possible. Who's to say? I think we have another good episode in the can, boys. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's not so bad. Not so bad. That's a square podcast guarantee. So not so bad. But yeah. but we have a, we have a, a special episode next week that I do want to. Uh, I know we, we we don't normally do the oh well this is what we're doing next week thing, but next week we are doing something important and I think everybody needs to know that ahead well, of time. What would that be, Jim? I think you should take off next week. Take off next Thursday. Okay, so you can listen to our second annual worst of Buffalo. Podcast. Oh, yes. yeah, that's right, Big man. One. Which means we've been doing this for a year now. So is this yeah. a one-year anniversary episode? That's this right. It is the one-year anniversary episode. Oh. And, you know, it's fitting that we have Rusty and Jason on a week before our one-year anniversary, because, like, you guys have been instrumental in making us... Uh, you know, the big deal that we are, that we like to fancy ourselves yes. because we have great guests like our, our geologist friend, Jason, and, <laughs> and whatever the hell Rusty does. I'm going to go pound some rocks later. <laughs> kick some rocks. He's just, he's just I'm going to kick them all over a map, though. <laughs> he's, he's, he's just in his garage grinding up limestone. Yeah. Making maps out of it. I really like fossils, okay? Yeah. And we, we have a fun guest lined up for that one, I believe. We'll, we'll find out. We'll, we'll, we'll find out if we have a fun guest. Who's to say? But... Our extremely fun guests this week were Dr. Jason Knight and Dr. Russell Weaver. I'm going to throw the doctor in at the end, really Great. sex it up for you. Yeah, it makes us feel important, but right. we're not. Gentlemen, where <laughs> can we find you? You got anything to promote for us, boys? Like anything big, moving parts here? No, I think the only thing that I think is important is the work that we just finished up for um, for Lisk and PPG on on housing needs in our, in our two-county region. Um, you know, work that Rusty and I have been plowing through in the last couple of years trying to really understand what's happening in our housing market and in particular a lot of really good work that in, in particular really good projection work that Rusty did um, looking at needs moving forward in the next few years around affordability, disability, um, and aging in place. So we, we keep trying to push the housing agenda in this region as much as we can. That's an important piece. I don't know how much 
I don't know how much light it'll get it'll get in the region um, outside of the t- traditional sort of policy wonk arena, but but we think it's important work, um, and, and we hope it gets out there and, and at least see some um, some impact. I also want to say too the one thing that I think is important that people need to think about. You, somebody mentioned a GoFundMe account. Um, sort of off the rails, but there is a GoFundMe account. I don't remember what what, what it actually is. I can probably retweet it, but um, you know we have a, a number of Afghani households coming into our region in in the near future here, and, and there's some GoFundMe uh, accounts out there to try to support those organiz- organizations that are helping them um, get resettled here. And, and um, you know people like my mother-in-law and some others in the region do do ESL work and, and work in the housing arena to try to get them housed in, in decent housing and good neighborhoods. So you know welcome those people with open arms and, and open your wallets a little bit to try to get some uh, get some quality quality housing for, for those those people that are coming to our region and, and, and be hopefully warmly accepted. Right on. Awesome. We can get that out there. Guys, where can we find you on the internet if you want to be found? Jason. It is at Jason Knight PhD and on Twitter. I don't hide. <laughs> Rusty, how about you, my friend? I am at uh, Rust Belt Geo, G-E-O, and I've got some forced time off coming because I've accrued too much of it. So I'm just oh. going to uh, start tweeting out a bunch of indicators of change over time over the last 15 years in Buffalo. So if there's anything special you want to see, let me know. The man, the hustle never stops. They forced him to stop working, but he still keeps working. That's the Rusty Weaver guarantee. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks again, guys, for joining us. Again, listen to this episode. And then stick around next week. We're going to be coming back better than ever for the one year anniversary. Also, extravaganza. Also, before we wrap up here, the usual stuff follow us at Square Pod Buff, Jim, Battle Jim of the Republic, Ride, Real Ryan Steel, whatever. But is, should we talk about it's a great Twitter whatever. handle? Whatever. Right, yeah. I don't care. Should we talk about the party? At Drill. Is it is it too soon to talk about the. No, we can talk about it. We, we already mentioned about- it before. The first Friday in December. December 3rd. We've got a Tom and Jerry party, and uh, we're going to support some local nonprofit. I don't know which yet. But, right. Uh, yeah, we, we've reached out to a couple. Uh, I worked in nonprofit for a while. I'm not surprised that uh, even though we're like, hey, we'd like to give you money that, that nobody's getting back to us. Afghani refugees. There you go. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Journey's End or something Jer- like Journey's, that. Journey's End has been an idea that we've kicked yeah, around. It's, in, in, it's on the list. Yep. yep. Yeah. No, I think we're going to $30 a person, $50 a couple. Get you pizza, wings, a couple of Tom and Jerry's, and you get to hang out with us for a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a relatively exclusive engagement because I think the capacity at Rojals is 50. So. Yeah, 40, 50. Right. So, so, yeah, we got the place, the back room booked. I'll take two. Hold, hold two for me. Yeah, no, right. definitely. We got Jason coming. Rusty, if you can make it uh, into the big city here, we, we'd love to have you. We'll have tickets soon. Well, you know, we have tickets. We'll give you soon. directions. Right. Yeah. <laughs> How to find it. R- Ryan will drive you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Uber and Lyft go out there, right? I don't know. Well, yeah, but then, but there's also you. you oh, oh I guess I could. Yeah. Uber. 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 Yes. So, but we'll, we'll, we'll get more info about the party out there soon, but we just want to get it on your radar now, listener, who, you know, we love and we want to see. We want to see your faces. I, I'm really curious to see the faces of some of the people who listen to my voice week in and week out. I just want to see what these people look like, like who willingly turn on my nasally ass voice. Be careful what you wish for. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I'm very vain. I just need to see, I need to look them in their eyes. <laughs> yeah. And I, I need to be like, awesome. You like to listen to me. I'm most excited for is seeing who shows up and pays for a ticket with like their political account. Oh. oh. Ransenhofer can buy a couple of tickets. Maybe Mike Ransenhofer buys 50 tickets and it's just yeah, us right. and it's Mike Ransenhofer. Right. Right. That'd be all right. Uh, that would be awesome. Mike Ransenhofer <laughs> bought out the place just to like make fun of us for two hours. <laughs> 
I, I love that. Right, yeah. If Mike Razzover just says, like, here's a check for $1,500 and nobody talks to you for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a fun thing to do if you had that much money. Mm-hmm. I, I'm most looking forward to drinking. Yeah. That's drinking me. the Tom and Jerry's. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So and keep shots of Krupnik. Yes. So mm-hmm. keep so keep that first weekend in December free on your calendars, folks. And uh, yeah, here's to uh, here's to a year at the square, boys. Yeah. Congrats. Thanks. Try to be best, cause you're only a man.